as we live, as we go, we need to live our lives to the Lord. Right? As we live, as we go, we need to live our lives to the Lord. I asked you a question earlier, what evidence is there in your life that, that you live to the Lord? That you're separated to Him and, and that, that this church thing is not just a, an event in your life, but, but it's beyond that, right? I mean, we, we do understand that on Sundays, I mean, we have the privilege to come here and worship corporately together. We worship the Lord. That's why we come. You didn't come today so you could get in your nice car and drive. You came today because you wanted to come to worship the Lord. That's why you came. I hope you didn't. I don't think you came to look at me, right? I didn't come to look at you. I came to worship the Lord. That's why we come. I mean, that's what heaven's going to be about. Heaven's going to be about worshiping the Lord. So as I was thinking about living to the Lord, I, the Lord impressed on my heart this last week, and it's uncomfortable when he does this because I'm, uh, it just is. Uh, I'm a planner, that's just, that's who I am, and I like things to be scheduled out, and I'm like, Lord, I'm in Second Peter chapter 1, and I'm going along, and, and as I'm doing that, right, this, this whole thing of living to the Lord is, is just being impressed on my heart, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, then it's like, okay, Lord, and so then I'm just reading, and he leads me to the book of Job. So, guess where you're going? To the book of Job. Job chapter 1. And we're not going to cover the whole book in one day. You know better than that, right? But I do want to look at chapter 1, because I think chapter 1 kind of gives us a great example of a man who is really living to the Lord, um, whether he was in a good place or whether he was in a bad place. He lived unto the Lord. And I guess that just kind of encouraged me and I, I started thinking about, like, okay, Lord, um, you know, in my life, when I'm in a good place, man, I can say to someone, yeah, I'm living for the Lord. Living for Him. But when I'm in a bad place, man, that's, that's tough, isn't it? That's where the kind of the rubber meets the road because I think really the growth points in our life, the, the greatest growth points in our life are when we are going through trials and tribulations. Because you know what happens when we go through trials and tribulations? There's the test. And in our minds we're going, God, who are you? And the same God that allows all these blessings in our lives allows the pain as well. He does. And people out in the world go, oh, that's not fair. Aren't you glad we don't get what's fair? Well, so I want us to look at this guy named Job. I've got five points. That breaks every homiletical rule I ever learned in school. But it's all right. It's just for one day. Uh, we're going to look at the man, first of all. The man. Notice this man. He's described for us in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now, I want you to look at the way that, God, that, that, that Job's described here in God's Word. The Bible says he was a blameless man. Now, that word blameless is an interesting word. It means without moral blemish. 
He was a moral man. He followed God. You remember in Second Peter, right, that book? Remember back in the first part of the chapter, it says, supply in your faith what? What's the first thing? Right? I knew you'd remember. Moral excellence. Job was a virtuous man. He was a blameless man. He was at, without moral blemish. Morality. Man, did you know we live in an immoral world? It's all around us. You think, well, yeah, but what about Job? Well, he lived in an immoral world too, right? Ever since the fall of man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. Um, there's immorality all around us. You know one of the hardest things to do, and I'll have a lot of little side notes today if that's all right with you, and even if it's not, I'm going to give them to you anyway. Do you know, guys, that, that living a moral life, a virtuous life, now listen to this, is impossible without the Spirit of God controlling us? You understand that? So you say, well, I'm gonna, I need to be better disciplined. You know, I'm going to... I've got this great determination going on in my life. That it's a new year. All right, great. But we can't live in moral victory without the Spirit of God controlling our lives. Bottom line. So the Bible tells us he was a moral man without moral blemish. And then it says he was an upright man. This is an interesting word. It means he didn't stray from God's standards. That's what it means in the Hebrew. He didn't stray from the standards of God. And you're like, okay, hey, what about us? Where are these standards of God defined? Answer, the Bible. The Bible tells us what God's standards are. God has standards for you and me. He expects us to live holy lives. Again, impossible without the Spirit of God controlling our lives. It's obvious that Job was controlled by the Lord. He was a blameless man. He was an upright man. Notice the third description. He, it says fearing God. The idea here in the Hebrew is ongoing fear in his life of God. Meaning he was submitted to God's majesty. He feared him. And because he feared him, then he lived like he feared him. Um, the idea here of majestic, I, I was reminded of that song that we sing, Oh Lord, our Lord, how what? How majestic is your name in all the earth. So he was a man who feared God. And so the question then becomes for us, do we fear God? You know, I think about fearing God. I, I just always think about Joseph. The man feared God. He feared God, and his life bore that out. Um, so Job here feared God. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. And the Bible says, fourthly, he turned away from evil. The word there, turn, means to reject. He rejected evil. He rejected evil. Uh, you know, you would almost get the impression in looking at this verse that he was a perfect man, but he wasn't a perfect man. We know that. 
But the Bible says he was a man that was committed to the ways of the Lord. If you were to summarize verse 1, that's what it was. He was a man committed to the ways of the Lord. He was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and he turned away from evil. By the way, if you're going to turn away from evil, you can't, and this is real practical, you can't be in the presence of evil. Right? That means we have be careful little feet where I go, right? Be careful little hands where I, what I touch, right? I need to be careful about the world that I live in. And, 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 and Job was. The Bible says he turned away from evil. So we have the man described in verse 1. And then the Bible tells us about his blessings. And his blessings were twofold. We, we notice the blessings here had to do with family and material wealth. Look at verse 2. It says, And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Well, his quiver was full. He had a lot of kids. Seven sons, three daughters. Children, the Bible says, are a blessing from the Lord. All God's people said amen, right? They are a blessing from the Lord. They are a pain at times, but they are a blessing. He had seven sons and he had three daughters. So not only was he blessed with family, but the Bible says he was just blessed materially. He was a wealthy man. Um, Notice verse 3. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now, if you're going to have all that, right, the 7,000 sheep and the 3,000 camels and the 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys, not only do you have servants, but you have a bunch of land. You've got to have somewhere to put those animals. So Job was blessed beyond measure in terms of his family and in terms of his possessions, the Bible tells us. It's interesting, verses 4 and 5 won't spend long on this. If you want to spend a long time on it, you can do that this afternoon, but... Verses 4 and 5, it's interesting to me the concern he had for his children. Look at verse uh, 4 and 5. It says, And his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 5, And it came about when the days of feasting had been completed, or completed their cycle, that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did continually. Isn't that interesting? The, the care and the concern that he had for their spiritual life. Um, when we raise kids, you know, one of the temptations, and, and this, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but I'm going to now. One of the temptations that we have as parents is to place on our children expectations that are ours alone and not God's. You know, what do you want from your kids the most? You ever thought about that? Well, some, if you were to just go around the city of Birmingham, what do you want for your kids the most? I would guarantee you that one of the top answers would be wealth. I want them to have a lot. Uh, For a believer, that answer should be completely different. It should be this, I want for my kids, not only do I want them to know the Lord, but I want them to walk with the Lord. And I want them to say, hey, Lord, whatever you want in my life. 
And that means that even if the Lord wants them to go to the mission field far, far away from you, is that okay? I've actually had people tell me it's not okay. But isn't it really the best interest to the best interest of our children when we are primarily concerned with their spiritual condition? I mean, isn't that what we wake up thinking about if we're parents or grandparents? I have three grandchildren now. And I, I want most that those girls will know the Lord. I saw a quote on Facebook this week. I mean, and I can't quote it verbatim, but it was something like this. At the end of our life, knowing the Lord is really all that matters. Boy, I tell you what, we sure do spend a lot of time in the dash accumulating things, don't we? It's only 11.13. Praise the Lord. So, you have the man, the blessings. Now you move to the test. This is interesting. Verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord... Satan also came among them. That word Satan there is the word adversary. Adversary. By the way, that means he is not for the things of God. He's not for the things of God. He's, listen to me, he is not for you living your life for the Lord. He's not for that. He's not for you saying to the Lord... Lord, here are my children, they're yours. Here are my grandchildren, they're yours. He's not for that. But we should be. We should be. We should be for that. He's the adversary. Notice verse 7, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Not that the Lord didn't know, by the way. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Why does he do that? What does he do when he walks around? Well, answer New Testament. Look at this. You don't need to turn there, but listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Be aware. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour him. He wants to devour you. His mission is to take you away. Listen to me, this is very important. His mission is to take you away from a life lived for the Lord. He doesn't want that. He's the enemy. He's the adversary. He's on the other side. And by the way, he sure does have a lot working for him down here on earth. Who are against the things of the Lord who are against the scriptures, who are against the gospel, who are against Christian families in general. So, we come to verse 8, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So we have the test here. For there is no one like him on the earth. Isn't it interesting, the Lord's words here, repeating what we're given in the beginning of the chapter. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And then Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, basically saying, look what he's got. Has he not got a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? In other words, you're protecting him. He's got it made. 
Verse 10, Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Interesting to note that although he's the adversary, he sure does know a lot about where stuff comes from, doesn't he? Look at that. Thou hast made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side. You're his protector. Isn't it interesting that out of the mouth of the father of lies comes this? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Now verse 11, very important verse. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse thee to thy face. In other words, hey, look, he's got a blessed life. You put your hand on him and he'll curse you. Well, we move from the test to the loss. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. Now it happened on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house that a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. You get this? I mean, it's just this ongoing onslaught. Now listen, this, these aren't good things that he's hearing. He says, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people and they died. It doesn't say they were hurt. It said they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So in a very short period of time, there sure is a lot of loss. All those things that were described, all those blessings initially that we were given as a description. Big family, blessings, seven sons, three daughters. Blessings of all these possessions. Gone. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Living your life to the Lord when things are good? Pretty easy. Living your life to the Lord with that? Pretty difficult. Pretty difficult. And his reaction is the fifth point. And it's an amazing reaction or response. In fact, I put beside the margin, it's remarkable. And without, listen, without him being devoted to the Lord, an impossible reaction. Are you listening to me? He was set apart to the Lord. How do we know this reaction? 
Um, we live in a culture that doesn't like turmoil. Doesn't like suffering. Now, I'm not going to get up here and say, Hey, suffering, come on, suffering, we want suffering. No, nobody does that. Right? But when there is suffering, and there will be, it's happening. Uh, well, the Bible says the godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Uh, that I don't like that verse. Well, I'm not fond of it, but it's true. And suffering comes in many forms, right? We tend to, and I'm not going to say you, I guess I should use another pronoun, but I'm not. We tend to view suffering from a total physical standpoint. Well, my toe hurts, my head hurts, my stomach aches. I got to have surgery, I got to have this surgery, I got to have that, it's, that's, that's suffering, but man, have you ever really been in anguish over something? It's one thing to have surgery on your foot, but it's another thing to have anguish over your children. I know. I have three wonderful sons. And do you know they didn't live perfect lives? And they caused me at times anguish. And he's not here today. What is it about the oldest? <laughs> it's almost like they have anguish written right next to their anguish. There's anguish, right? Because listen, they're just living life. And they're being bombarded with all kinds of things in the world. And I think sometimes Christian parents expect perfection. Not happening. Right? Didn't take you long to figure that out, did it? Right? I mean, they're, they're walking like this as toddlers. No! Well, you know what? They do the same thing as teenagers, except it's like this. Right? There is anguish. In a lot of other areas, guys. We tend to focus on the physical, but man, there's anguish spiritually and emotionally. All those things that cause much more pain. And his response is amazing. Let me give it to you. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. These are signs of grief and loss. By the way, there's nothing wrong with grief. Um, sometimes I think that in Christian circles we've made this whole grieving thing a wrong thing. But it's not a wrong thing. I mean, Solomon says there's a time for everything under the sun. But as believers, it's how we grieve. Right? It's how we grieve. If you go to the funeral of an unbeliever, there is grief on the part of the believer because they know what? They know. They know. They might not want to think about it, and I'm not saying here to think about it, but, but they know that person was not saved. And there's an eternal consequence. 
And that's hard. That's not, you talk about anguish. But then there's also grieving when their believer goes to be with the Lord. And that's natural. We grieve when my mother went to be with the Lord in 2015. It's hard to believe it's going on three years. 2015, right? In August, on August 18th, she went to be with the Lord. Well, I had grief. I remember the second day walking in that room where she stayed and, and the bed was gone, the, the hospital bed that, that she was in and, and, and it was just an empty space. And I remember just breaking down and, and just crying. But it wasn't like I had no hope. I missed the presence of my mom. I missed her all the time. And there's times I'll be driving along the road and going, Mom, I really want to tell you this. I mean, I, I do. I, I, I miss her presence. But my friends, listen to me. I know without a shadow of a doubt, when I close my eyes to be in the presence of the Lord, my mom's going to be there. And so I don't grieve like those without hope, as Paul writes. Listen, I, my grief is not the same. By the way, just as a side note, when we go to funerals of unbelievers or we go to a church where we know the gospel is not being taught, man, it's, it is grieving. Have you ever, I mean, am I the only one that experiences that? I sit in that, I've sat in churches I know where the gospel is not preached. My heart is just grieving going, what are you doing? I have a great story, I have time. I have a great story about when I was in high school. And, and, and this young man lost his life. And, and I'm sitting at this Catholic funeral, which Lord help them, and they're so long. And I'm sitting there, and, and, and they're going through this whole thing. And at the, end of the, at the end of the service, our coach, our football coach, stands up, and, and he looks out in the audience, and he says, I don't know how many of you are going to understand this. But three days ago, this young man was in my office and he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. He trusted in Christ as his Savior. And, and I got chill bumps going all up and down me. My arms and my, I mean, I got them all over. And, and to look around the room, then some are just like, like, they're dead. They don't know. Man, I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, he does grieve. But wow, look at the, the, the rest of this. The Bible says, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. And then it says, and he fell to the ground. Now, I don't believe because he fell to the ground because he was in despair. Because of the phrase that's tied next to it. He fell to the ground to do what? Worship. All right, just a little discussion. You ever wonder why we, we're like this in church at times? It's so stiff. You ever wondered that? I see people at times raising their hands, and the Bible talks about that. You know, we want to lift up holy hands. That's the issue. But you know what? We have the freedom to get on our knees and fall before the Lord. You want to do I don't. I'm not going to go, wow, that dude fell on his knees today. Was I reading my Bible, Isaiah fell on his knees. And I've got to share this verse with you, just because I got to. 
Go to Revelation 22. I want to show you something real quick. Revelation 22. Verses 7, 8, and 9. And behold, I am coming quickly. Hurry up. We're ready for it. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. At the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And notice what the angel says. He said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. There is only, listen to me, there is only one worthy of worship, and that's the Lord. That's it. Man is not worthy of worship. And yet churches, listen, churches are filled with services where everything's about the man that's standing in front and the people that are playing the instruments. Not coming up here and opening the word so you can pat me on the back. And a person who grabs a mic and starts singing, they're not, that's not what it's about. Or playing the drums, although I've always wanted to learn how to play those. Kevin, we'll talk about that. It's not about that. It's about worshiping the Lord. And so, to me, this is amazing. In view of what's going on in his life. But what did Satan say he would do? Satan didn't say, ah, he's going to worship you. What did he say? He's going to curse you. Hey, guys, I have to say this at this point. This, this is a challenge for us. Because when bad stuff goes on in our lives, you know what happens? The world's message to us is God's not fair. I mean, you talk about a wide open door of opportunity. There it is. Let me talk to you about God. Well, he didn't curse the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. And we have the rest of the story. Look here. Almost done. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Yep, that's right. I've seen many a baby. Right? I saw three of them naked. Now, Caleb... I didn't get, well, I saw him naked after a little while, but I didn't see him naked right away. But I saw Micah naked, and I saw Andrew naked right away. Because when the doctor reached down there, and we were talking about golf, by the way. It was fun. We were having a conversation about golf, and Teresa's like, hello. But anyway, it was really fun to do. But the doctor takes Micah out. We didn't know, right, we didn't find out what our kid was going to be, so it was all this suspense and and, and there's Micah. And nothing else. And there's Andrew and nothing else. It says, naked, I came from my mother's womb. What did I do with my glasses? And naked, I shall return there. Meaning to the earth. then why do we spend so much time in worrying about accumulating things? Because every funeral I've been to, guess what? They're dead. 
and they're returning to dust. So what's that? I got time for this. Isn't it amazing what people spend money on these days? Now, I don't want to offend any of you guys, but, you know, I'll just give you my example for me. I, I'm in the, in, in the hair salon because I go to one of those, believe it or not. I go to a, a, a place where there's a bunch of ladies that go. I've always wondered if there was something wrong with that. But they say there are other men that come, but every time I go in there, it's just a bunch of ladies. And do you know what ladies do at hair salons? Yeah, somebody said they gossip. Man, there's a lot of good stories. Maybe that's why I go. But a few years ago, I'm sitting in the seat, and it's time for me to get my hair cut. And she looks at me and she says, Thad, you're really getting gray. I can do something about that. I said, nope, the Lord's taking care of that. Isn't it amazing, though, that a lot of distraction is spent on this physical? Man, it's amazing to me. All right, well, he said, And naked I shall return there, not taking anything with you. And then he says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. What's he recognizing there? The sovereignty of God. My friends, listen to me. What you have comes from the Lord. What I have comes from the Lord. He took my mom to be with him. Why? He wants her there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Job recognized that all he had was from God and that God allowed all that stuff, his possessions and his children to be taken away. And then he makes a very incredible statement. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know what that word blessed means here in the Hebrew? has two thoughts to it. So after all this stuff, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What's wrong with this guy? Because that term blessed has two thoughts. It's being grateful. What? In the midst of all this, being grateful. And it also has to do with admiring someone. And so he's saying here, I'm grateful to the Lord and I, I admire the Lord. And we look at that and we go, are you kidding me? It's one thing to live the Christian life when things are going just like we want them to go. But it's another thing to live the Christian life when things don't look so good. He says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the chapter closes this way. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Isn't that an amazing statement? That's what the Lord gave me this week. He's like, Dad, you're going to do this, whether you want to or not. Because, and I want you to listen to this, because when we say that we're living lives separated unto God, that means we're doing it whether things are going along just like we want them to go. 
And if they're not going along like we want them to go, we're still committed to living a life to the glory of the Lord. Now I want to tell you something. Impossible to do without the Spirit of the Lord controlling my life. There's a song that we sing, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. There's a lot to that song. We're going to close our time this morning with that song. Let's pray together. Lord, we look at a man like Job, and there's so many lessons. This is just one chapter. There's much more to the events of his life. And um, I just know you used it to encourage and challenge me. Lord, I just want to say in front of these people today, my desire is to live to you and glorify you every day. And I want to say in front of all these, I don't do that all the time. I do fail. My humanness shows up. The Lord just reminds me that when it does, and I see all that ugliness, that no matter what's going on in my life, whether it's the high points or the low points, Lord, I pray that my mind, I'm praying this for me, that my mind would be wholly separated unto you. And that I truly would live for the things that last and not live for the things that don't. Lord, I pray as we sing this song, if there's any here today that need to recommit that. Because every year, we always come to the front of the year and say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Lord, I pray that this year we just make it simple and say, I'm going to live for you. And I want to be controlled by your Spirit. I pray that would be our, our thoughts. Help us with that. Thank you for the helper that you have given to us that resides in us. Help us to live under the submission of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.